Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Charlotte Prudhomme from the Institute of Environmental and Occupational Health in Rennes on this show. Charlotte, please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. Um, you got your PhD from Institute Curie in 2010. After that, you moved to the US and did a postdoc at NYU Langone Medical Research Center with Jane Skog until 2015. After that, you came back to the Institute Curie to co-head the Circulating Cancer Biomarkers team. And currently, you are at the ISET as a group leader. A question I'd like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science? Yeah. Um, so actually, I, it's not super clear to me, but what I remember, it's really I think it's really at school that I really became, became interested in biology specifically. Uh, in my family, there are a lot of people in science. Uh, math and physics and uh, there were also a lot of phys physicians uh, my my grandfather and several of my uncles were physicians and so I was uh, so medical doc doctors and so I, I was really interested in biology at school I remember really well my teachers actually uh, from high school and I, I think they made me really interested in biology And at first, I didn't know so much about research. So at first, I wanted to, to do uh, medical studies. And uh, so I started uh, the first year of medical studies in France, but then I switched back to, I went to university to study biology. And um, uh, actually, it's great because I remember I was saying, yeah, I want to be a, a medical doctor, but I don't really want to have patients. I would like to, you know, I was interested in, Already, uh, I was already interested in genetics, and I really wanted to do uh, genetics. I, I don't actually really know from where it comes, but uh, I think, yeah, more uh, science background plus uh, uh, became really interested in biology at school because I had great teachers. Uh, it's Madame Antoine and Mr. Ferris. It's from, because of them that I'm here now. And um, yeah, and then, um, and I remember I was really, really interested in genetics, even if I didn't do so much about genetics. And uh, when I, I started my, my, my uh, studies at the university uh, in biology in Montpellier, and I was looking for classes about genetics and there were not so much. So that's how I, I was looking for that and I became aware of the Magister of Genetics in Paris, uh, which is now uh, co-headed by uh, Jonathan Weitzman. And so I joined, at the time it was not there yet, but uh, yeah, and so that's how I uh, joined the, I joined the Magister, uh, I was selected to join the Magister uh, in 2003 in Paris and, and everything started there actually, because it's a, Through this magister, I discovered the field of research. Um, a lot of the teachers were researchers, and we were really close to, to, to their lab and environment. And, and actually, then everything just followed the, yeah, 
that's uh, but wh when you happened. have like a lot of um, scientists or medical doctors in your family then you were aware of what the academic path would be like right no i was not really aware of it and there were no real uh there were no researchers actually in my family and now we are three my brother is also doing research in physics and my cousin she has a, a lab on in plant biology in uh, in uh, Lausanne, so in in Geneva actually, she lives in in Lausanne. So yeah, it's it's funny. Like now we are many researchers in the family, and, but but at the time, no, not really. Yeah, interesting how this all develops. So let's talk about your science uh, that centers uh, broadly around circulating tumor DNA as a biomarker in cancer. Um, let's start with a more general question: um, What is circulating tumor DNA, and how can it be used as a biomarker? So circulating DNA, it's it's fragments of uh, DNA that are freely circulating in, in the bloodstream. So it's outside of any cell or any uh, uh, yeah of any cell. Uh, everybody has circulating DNA, like normal circulating DNA. It normally comes from your hematopoietic cells. Uh, but we also know that there is, in particular, in uh, in in, uh, in patient with cancer, for example. There is a fraction of this DNA, of this circulating DNA that comes from the tumor, directly from the tumor. So it's really pieces of uh, tumor genome that are circulating in your, in your blood that you can then catch by a simple blood draw uh, from peripheral blood from your arm. And with this, you have access to tumor DNA directly, like if you were doing a Uh, a, a, biopsy, a classical biopsy where you take uh, tumor cells and you access, uh, and then you you can use that to to investigate uh, uh, molecular markers, as it's done uh, uh, widely for for uh, when you manage a patient with cancer. So now that's why we call that the use of uh, circulating tumor DNA. So this fraction of tumor DNA that you can find in the, in the blood, uh, it's called liquid biopsies uh, in opposition to tissue biopsy because you can, at least for the molecular alteration, you can use it the same way. You can uh, so uh, collect this circulating DNA and do, for example, sequencing to try to find uh, alterations, mutations uh, that can help you uh, for, for several applications, but basically you can use it uh, to, to identify the mutations uh, that can be uh, Targeted, for example, uh, if you want to apply a targeted therapy. To I have two, two follow-up questions to that. So how does it get into the bloodstream? <laughs> And how do you know that it comes from the cancer? So it's, ve it's a uh, very interesting question. It's uh, So uh, basically, uh, the circulating DNA is kind of a, uh, a waste. It's not really, at least for now, we don't know any specific role Uh, uh, associated to this uh, circulating DNA, and 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 several nice studies have shown that the the vast majority of this circulating DNA is coming from apoptotic cells. So it's really cells that undergo um, uh, program death and that will release their fragmented genome in the circulation. So in normal people, it's mostly coming from uh, hematopoietic cells because it's the cells that are in close proximity to your bloodstream. And in uh, an organism with a tumor, like in a patient with cancer, uh, uh, you have uh, actually so many cells that are uh, uh, undergoing uh, renewing and dying 
that this will um, uh, uh, um, be, be it will generate too much waste that can be uh, taken by uh, by the the cleaning uh, uh, process, which normally you have macrophages and and things that will clean up uh, the immune system uh, around. Yeah, exactly. Here, the there is so much uh, waste, uh, including this circulating DNA, that it will uh, be uh, detectable in the bloodstream. So then, uh, obviously, there are several parameters that could uh, um, that could in, uh, impact the quantity of circulating DNA of circulating tumor DNA you find in the blood. Uh, and several have been already now well shown to be correlated. For example, the size of the tumor, the bigger the tumor, the more of uh, tumor DNA you will find. The, the mitotic index also of the cells, if the, the tumor is renewing a lot and dividing a lot, then you will also find more uh, tumor DNA. Uh, the, if you have advanced disease, you will have more uh, tumor DNA. Uh, with multiple uh, sites lesions in the in the body, uh, and also and something that it has not been properly shown yet, but it's it's uh, uh, it's kind of obvious. The more vascularized the tumor is, the more uh, tumor DNA you will have in in the bloodstream. And then there are a lot of things that we still don't understand actually. And uh, uh, mm -hmm. maybe let's some get... labs are investing this. Yeah. yeah. Maybe let's get a little bit more into the details. So the first publication with a name on it regarding this topic were reviews targeting circling tumor DNA and breast cancer diagnosis. Um, so why did you first focus on this type of cancer and which advantages does the ctDNA have in this type of cancer compared to maybe classical methods? So so at that, at that time, that's when I joined back the Institut Curie and I was co-leading this, this team on circulating tumor biomarkers. Um, The Institut Curie has a, spe a specialty actually in breast cancer. They they uh, treat a lot of patients with breast cancer, so that's was a reason why we were really interested in breast cancer. Uh, it's the 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 cool thing of uh, about circulating tumor DNA is that it's interesting for many many types of cancers, not specifically breast cancer. And I, maybe we'll come. To that after, but I'm interested in many types of cancers uh, in my research now. Um, and so the you are asking about the advantage, right, of uh, using circulating tumor DNA. There are several advantages. So as I was saying, so first you can kind of uh, perform the same uh, type of molecular profiling as you can do from a tissue uh, biopsy. It has been shown to be very Uh, the to you, you are able to identify this in the same way. Uh, The molecular alteration from from circulating uh, DNA, if you have enough uh, material, so for uh, for advanced stages it works really well, and you you are able to identify all the same alteration that you could find in the tissue. But there are all, also other advantages: is that uh, it's you you can think about the bloodstream as a reservoir where you will collect. The fragment, the tumor fragment coming from all the tumor sites. So you don't need to have repeat to do several biopsies. Uh, if you have metastatic disease, for example, with several lesions in, in several organs, uh, all of this you will find in your, uh, in your circulating DNA. So I didn't mention, but to access to circulating DNA, you collect uh, blood 
from the bloodstream, you isolate the plasma uh, uh, phase of the blood, so the non-cellular phase. Uh, if you remember, I, I was saying that these are fragments that are not associated to cells, and then you extract, you know, they are kits, you can extract the DNA from the plasma uh, phase of the blood. And so um, I was saying that because, yeah, you have this reservoir and you have all the, the access to all the lesions you have in the body, so that's very interesting because then you can find uh, all the alterations you have uh, in the in all the lesions. Uh, you also don't have this spatial bias that you have with the tissue biopsy uh, because that's one of the problems. Like sometimes, for example, for prostate cancer, you have to do several biopsies because it's known to be very heterogeneous, the cancer. So you have to make uh, I think it's around 10 different biopsies to try to represent the, the diversity of mutations you will have in this cancer. From, from a, 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 a liquid biopsy, looking at circulating tumor DNA, you, you don't have to do that, and you have that in your one single sample. Um, you have to keep in mind also that uh, you should we should not op uh, make uh, no position between tissue biopsy and uh, and uh, liquid biopsy, because there are things we cannot do with liquid biopsy. For example, everything that is uh, uh, looking at, at, at cell morphologies and all that, we cannot do from liquid biopsies. It's a, it's a more complementary approach. And the big advantage uh, as a complementary approach is that you can repeat the sampling without risk. It's very, um, we call that also that non-invasive uh, uh, profiling of the tumor. Uh, and, and then, so you can repeat the sampling and you can repeat it uh, when you are take, uh, during the, the course of the disease and, and in particular during the course of the treatment. And that's one thing that I've been uh, shown by many studies now is that you can follow the dynamic of the circulating tumor DNA and that's uh, informative of the efficacy, the efficacy of the treatment on the patient. So um, the the CT DNA, so the circulating tumor DNA, is like naked DNA, right? It's not in a nucleosomal context or anything. It's just DNA. No, it is actually supposed to be nucleosomal particles. Um, and so there are a few uh, uh, teams that have been now trying to do, uh, they have done, uh, there are very few publications yet, but uh, they have done chip on uh, plasma DNA. And so, so it has always been uh, thought that it was nucleosomal particles really coming from uh, apoptotic cell, uh, cell depth. But it was, uh, that's something that I really wanted to do actually when I started in the field. I never had the time to do it, but to do electron microscopy actually on the, on the plasma DNA to show that it's a proper uh, nucleosome particle. But now there are uh, nice studies showing that you can perform chip and you can find uh, uh, you can look at some chromatin marks. It's a bit tricky, but uh, it's doable. Uh, the material is very scarce, so it's difficult. Uh, and I think, uh, so I'm really not uh, doing this kind of work on, on uh, histone marks yet. I might uh, be interested in into this later, but uh, I think there are some marks that are very difficult to find. And, you know, in the bloodstream, maybe like uh, I know that some acetylation marks are difficult to, to identify because may, they may be less stable 
in the in the blood circulation. So it's not like in a cell there are more parameters to take into account. But what you did work on is a method called single droplet digital PCR. So um, how does this work and why is this so useful to detect uh, CT DNA? So this, uh, yeah, this is what I was doing uh, previous in, in, uh, previously when I was working uh, in the Institut Curie. When I was collining the team on circulating tumor biomarkers, we were really investigating uh, mutations. Now I'm more interested in, in AP markers. I can tell you about this later. But um, the, the point is, uh, we, uh, as I was mentioning for chip, the, the material is scarce. Like uh, I told you, you find uh, the same molecular alteration as uh, from the tissue biopsy. But this is easy when you have advanced disease. But now if you want to go earlier in the course of the disease, you have to have very... Uh, sensitive markers to be able to detect low fraction of tumor DNA in the in the in the bloodstream, and also try to uh, target many markers at once. And this is really what the kind of thing I'm doing now. But at the time, we we what we did it was focused on detecting mutation, multiple mutations at once, to try to use the less material possible and still be able to detect many, many mutations. And the point was to just, so there is a technique that is used a lot in the field of liquid biopsies, in particular to detect circulating tumor DNA. It's the droplet digital PCR. So basically it's a, it's a PCR that is uh, fragmented into uh, thousands of nanoliter reaction. And that helps you to detect low frequency uh, events. In this case, we are looking for mutated uh, alleles and so th there this is a, the classical method where it's it's using a tacman assay actually and and you can identify a different version of your alleles the mutated and the, the wild type and in this uh in this paper we just uh, uh tweaked a bit the method to be able to detect multiple mutations in a single reaction so instead of having a, a specific probe targeting the mutant allele, uh, one mutation, uh, one specific mutation, we, uh, we, we use the probe that will not properly attach when you have a mutation. And the signal we detect is actually when you lose the, the signal of this probe. And this is where uh, you identify that you have a mutation. And so you don't need to have a specific probe for each mutation you're looking at. You have only one, <coughs> sorry, only one probe that we just not attach when you have a mutation. And so obviously we are covering a small region, but it's very uh, useful when you are uh, assessing a hotspot regions, such as in the paper we show for Keras uh, in the 12th codon, you have multiple mutations that, I, that can occur here. And so we're able to identify all the mutations occurring there with this single uh, single probe in a single PCR reaction. So that means you only use, need to use a, a little bit of uh, circulating DNA for this. For this, And so that's, that, that was uh, really useful. And this was then, uh, we declined a little bit this, uh, this method. So we call that the drop-off assay. 
because you lose the signal from the mutant version. Um, I, I, in fact, from the wild type version when you have a mutation. Uh, and so we did that for Keras and EGFR. For EGFR, it was really useful because EGFR, usually it's uh, deletions that are occurring uh, in the exon 19. And that cannot be assessed with a standard TACMAN assay. Here, as soon as you have uh, alterations, the, the probe is not attaching anymore and you detect the, the mutation. So it's very useful because normally uh, deletion of EGFR were uh, detected with NGS. And here you can do it with DDPCR, which is very fast to, to perform and to have the result. And then we declined it in multiple, uh, there are three papers associated to that method. And uh, one was to study uh, microsatellite instability. It's the same principle as detecting deletions of uh, EGFR, but the clinical application of this is because it, we know that if you are instable for microsatellites, you have a good chance to, uh, to respond to immunotherapy. So that's very interesting to be able to screen many patients uh, with a, a method that don't that is not very uh, costly, and that also have a, a fast turnover. And and the ultimate uh, the ultimate uh, application was to detect uh, a resistant mutation that that accumulate in the ESR1 gene when you treat a breast cancer patient with a hormonal therapy. And this is a nice study because we developed the technical part with the DDPCR to detect multiple mutations in, in ESR1. Here we did an assay that, is, that it is a bit more complicated because we have the drop-off that we combine with another uh, standard DDPCR, all of this that could be run in a unique reaction. Uh, but then this was applied uh, in a national clinical trial uh, in France where we did test in real time the accumulation of resistant mutation in patients uh, with breast cancer that are treated with a hormone, uh, hormonotherapy. And uh, in this assay, we would change the treatment if we detect this uh, accumulation of resistant mutation. And we finally observed that there is a um, positive impact of taking uh, this uh, information into account and to change the treatment early because uh, ultimately you will develop resistant to this uh, treatment. But this was really nice to show that this is a proper tool that you can really use in the clinics. I, you know that it's uh, in, in real life, it's doable and it, it has a positive impact on how uh, you treat patients with breast cancer. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a good thing to to know it early and not to to finish the treatment and then see well the the tumor came back because of a resistance and to know it early it, it's really uh, a valuable information to have, right? Yeah, and that's the thing is that the the molecular alteration you can detect from circulating tumor DNA it's very uh, it, it represents very small uh, tumor masses, so it's it's. Um, you can detect tumor masses that, that you cannot detect uh, with a classical uh, imaging. So it's really, that's the another advantage of uh, using the circulating tumor DNA. Yeah. So in September 2021, you then investig or investigated a combinatorial approach 
of analyzing circulating tumor cells and the circulating tumor DNA. So how mm -hmm. did this on the one hand improve the strength of the prognosis of the biomarkers and how did you combine both approaches? Mm -hmm. So it was really done separately. Uh, I mean, uh, we were we really had a sample to analyze circulating tumor cells and a sample to analyze circulating tumor DNA. So basically, it was just performing the two analyses in parallel, where for circulating tumor cells, we were counting the number of circulating tumor cells, because we know uh, it has been shown by uh, my previous collaborators, uh, uh, with who I, I was co-heading uh, co the, the te this team, Uh, the circulating tumor biomarker lab in the Institut Curie. Um, it's uh, Jean-Yves Pierga and François Clément Bidard. They showed that in breast cancer, if you count the number of uh, circulating tumor cells, uh, you can uh, define a, a pronostic uh, better or, or, or not that good uh, if you use a limit of five, for example, for breast cancer metastatic, uh, sorry, for metastatic breast cancer, Uh, we know that the uh, threshold of five circulating tumor cells detected by 7.5 ml of blood, it will lead to a worse prognosis than uh, if you are below this. And uh, uh, for early breast cancer, it's a threshold of one circulating tumor cell. And so it's based on the counting of circulating tumor cells. Um, And in parallel, we run and was more in charge of uh, analyzing the, the circulating tumor uh, DNA part. Uh, um, we performed analysis of mutations and we combined the two uh, data sets to, uh, to, to analyze the patient. And what we were able to show is that combining the two has a better uh, impact than analyzing the two markers separately. This is the This is now, uh, there, are, there are several other studies of this type that is showing the same thing. Okay. Um, before we finish, or maybe another question. So um, you did this on two samples, right? Is it also possible to like combine it and do it on the same? To do from the same sample? Yeah. You mean the circulating tumor cells and the circulating tumor DNA? Yeah. yeah, it's doable because actually to analyze the circulating tumor cell, you have to separate, you have to do a first centrifugation. So you could collect the plasma phase and analyze the circulating DNA and then uh, the circulating tumor cells from, from, the, from the pellet. Um, it's totally doable. Uh, But but then the tubes where the blood is collected to analyze the cells, it's a bit different, but, but it's, it's doable. Okay. So before we finish, uh, or before we move on to your current, maybe your future work, did we forget something or anything from your published work? No, I mean, um, this is... a. Um, Yeah, that's mostly what, what I was doing. Uh, that was from 2015 to 2020. And uh, now I can tell you what, from, from all the things that I learned when I was doing this, it's really from where I started to, 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 to set up the projects that I'm leading now on AP markers. So uh, now I'm more interested in looking at epigenetic alterations uh, to, to, to try to detect uh, cancer and uh, from, from circulating tumor DNA. How, how so sorry, to interrupt you, how did this switch come? Was it not 
I, would, yeah, I, I was don't want to say okay. Yeah, I was going to tell you actually it's really uh, I I really became aware and it's not only me it's really also in the field that looking at mutations were, were, were was limiting. Uh, when we, you look so we were looking at all these mutations sometimes we are looking at specific mutations for example we studied I studied a lot of breast cancer as I told you like in Curie we we there are a lot of patients with breast cancer um uh, and for example, there are patients with patients with triple negative breast cancer. We know that a lot of them, most of them actually, it's around 90%, they have a mutation for TP53. So we did analysis where we were focusing on TP53. Well, it's not that simple because uh, the gene is huge and you have to, it's a, it's a tumor suppressor, so you have to screen the whole. Uh, uh, it's not like... A, Keras, who's an oncogene, and where you have specific mutations occurring in, in this kind of the same in, the, in all the patients. Hey, it could happen everywhere in the TP53. Anyway, even focusing on TP53 to not be have to sequence the whole genome, uh, we were uh, losing some patients for which we for whom we didn't have any uh, markers we could follow with liquid biopsies. And, and overall, in all the breast cancer studies that I've uh, led, uh, there were about 25% of the patients for whom we didn't have any markers to follow them with liquid biopsies. So that's a lot. It's a quarter. It's it's too much. It, it's sometimes because we don't find a mutation even in the tumor, and sometimes we find the mutation, but we don't detect it in the plasma. So uh, I started to, to, to set up projects where we are interested in other types of alterations than uh, genetic alterations. And in particular, I'm doing a lot of work on uh, DNA methylation uh, of circulating tumor DNA. Uh, and, and, and it's great because you, can do, well, you don't have a lot of material, but the, the mark is very robust and you can easily analyze DNA mutation from circulating tumor DNA. Many, many labs now have, have done it actually. There are very nice studies where uh, people can use DNA methylation profiles to say uh, which type of cells have uh, released their DNA in the bloodstream. Oh, you okay. can actually identify the which cells have released. Yeah. And so... So what type of cell? So as uh, it was also part of the studies that showed that, for example, in healthy people, the circulating tumor DNA is coming from hematopoietic cells. And if, uh, for example, if you have, uh, it has been shown also uh, in many, in other uh, conditions than uh, cancer, for example, in, in liver transplant, uh, where you have a massive cell death of uh, liver cells, you will find DNA methylation profiles of liver cell in your circulating DNA. So which method uh, are you using to detect the methylation? Is it sequencing? Yes. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is uh, I'm trying to target uh, a specific alteration of DNA methylation uh, specific to cancer to try to detect uh, more easily the, the, the circulating DNA. And in particular, we are investigating uh, alterations in repetitive elements, and in particular in line one uh, retrotransposons. And so we have a, a paper in the pipe right now where we are showing that we do detect, uh, so 
uh, line one, they are uh, uh, usually, uh, they have been shown to be hypomethylated in multiple types of cancers. And we have used this marker uh, to detect uh, cancer from multiple forms of cancer. And so the way we do it, it's uh, uh, targeted by sulfide sequencing uh, based on PCR. Currently, we have a multiplex PCR where we, we target overall uh, 30 CPG in the line one. Uh, so the primate specific line one elements, the, the younger uh, line one elements in the human genome. And with these 30 CPG uh, sites, we are able to investigate the methylation profiles of uh, sample of plasma sample from we compared healthy donors with uh, samples from six different types of cancers, and we show that it's very uh, so we see a, hypo a significant hypermethylation in all these types of cancers, and we have built uh, models classification models using uh, machine learning, and we have very good performances to detect to classify properly patients with cancer and, and healthy uh, donors. So it's very, very promising. And uh, yeah. And where, when, <laughs> when can we expect this to be on BioArchive maybe? Are you putting your work on BioArchive? Yeah, we, the, the, so the paper is under review right now. And so I was going to put it on BioArchive, but I will modify it a little bit. But yeah, we will probably submit soon. On okay, so we are keeping an eye out for that. Um, so before we finish, um, or to finish off this interview, I have two more general questions. The first one being, uh, did you at one point of your career um, face a situation that you have uh, uh, reached a dead end and did not know what to do to move forward? You mean the de a dead end... Um in my career or, or in the... Or in a project, depends. In a project. Maybe where, where uh, the analysis did not work or... Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, that it doesn't work as expected. It happens all the time. But then this is... I, I have the thing that it's really part of the process, right? You, it's really rare that you have a, a precise hypothesis and you will go straight forward to, to, to the results. So to me, it's really the process of what we do in research is that you have a hypothesis, you test, there are drawbacks come back to you think about it and you, you redo it and then you find new new ways of uh, going uh not not really uh, i uh yeah no i think yeah no not properly uh, dead end but yeah like let's say uh, so always yeah. more ideas than problems <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of yeah and i, I think it's uh uh, yeah, it's really, really the process. I think it's okay. Yeah. So, in the last 35 minutes, we have taken a journey through your scientific career. Um, can you maybe give us a short summary about your most important findings? My most important findings, uh, I think. So, <laughs> so really, the, the 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 study we are about to publish. I'm really, really. Uh, uh, proud of this uh, this study because it was a long long research project. We started that uh, a few years ago and uh, and we are really happy to have been able to 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 assemble it as a nice paper. So I think and I was 
it was totally experimental at the beginning. I mean, we knew that line ones were hypermethylated in multiple forms of cancer, but studying DNA methylation in circulating tumor DNA at repeats, it was really a big challenge. We had for this, we had to develop a total new pipeline to be able to to actually use our data without uh, aligning the sequencing data on the genome reference. We didn't perform at all a, a classical DMR, DMR uh, analysis, which is usually done to analyze differences in methylation. It's totally something different, and it was a, a big challenge uh, that we uh, we managed to to overcome. And so, I think, uh, yeah, probably I'm saying it's the biggest, uh, it's the, the the more important discovery because it will really. Uh, impact the way I'm going to uh, develop my lab mm -hmm. now because a lot will, um, will follow this, uh, this first study. Yeah, since this uh, interview is going to be published tomorrow, the listeners have to <laughs> uh, keep an eye on your uh, bioarchive feed then and uh, look out for uh, the publication by themselves. I cannot link it to the show notes, but uh, once it's out, I will uh, edit then. So uh, thank you, Charlotte, sure. for your time and for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com and we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned.